You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. So Case Keenum gets the opportunity to take the knee. Yeah, they couldn't find Dwayne. Dwayne's taking selfies. Yeah, yeah. There's the knee. There's the ball game. Redskins victorious. Second time this year. First time at home this season. Final score at FedEx Field. The Redskins 19 and the Lions 16. Dwayne is taking selfies in your doc go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that became the story after the game. We'll get to that, I promise. I do have some thoughts on that. Uh, I'm going to start with this. I am totally, totally fine with players and coaches out there who've been taking the criticism and taking the heat and dealing with you know, just one of the worst losing atmospheres you know you get in the NFL over the 10 weeks or 11 weeks that the 10 games have played out. Uh, I am totally, totally uh, uh, with it that they are thrilled to have gotten that win. Good for them. Good for the players, the coaches. You know, it, it's uh, it's it's something that I'm sure for the time being, um, you know, uh, makes them feel a little bit better. I will also say simultaneously, um, I am not the guy. Okay, you, you, if you've come to the place to hear the guy genuinely excited because it's a victory Monday. You know, uh, if you're looking for the guy that's going to say, aren't Mondays so much better when the Redskins win the game? Uh, no, that's not me. Uh, not when the team is 2-9. and nine. Uh, Getting a win over a terrible team without several of their best players didn't put a pep into my step on this Monday. Didn't make me giddy and ready to celebrate Redskin Victory Monday. That's not me. All right, uh, it, and, and it has nothing to do even really with the draft positioning potentially lost with the win next year. In a draft that could be gold uh, with the first two picks. Did anybody see Chase Young on Saturday? Okay, he looks like the Bosa's but better. I mean, he looks like a game wrecker for years to come in the NFL. Um, I'm just not into my team being irrelevant all year long, and I'd be lying completely. I'd be completely disingenuous if I told you that I'm really, really finally, finally relieved that we can have a Monday to talk about a victory. Um, I've just never, I've never been that guy. Sorry. Contend for something in November other than the number one pick in the draft. Then I'll be happy when they get a win. They have two wins on the season by a combined four points over the Dolphins and the Lions. The Dolphins didn't have their best player at quarterback until the fourth quarter, and the Lions didn't have their best quarterback at all and were missing several key players on defense too. I I, I am probably, you know, I've probably taken some joy in a late season win over a rival team like Dallas or Philly or the Giants, especially if it hurt their playoff chances. You know, I'm sure there have been those Mondays where I was like, you know what, I'm so glad we beat Dallas and, you know, hurt their playoff uh, possibilities. But am I strutting around here celebrating Victory Monday? I'm not. Good for the players and coaches, and if you feel like you've got a better Monday because they won, bless your heart. Uh, I'm into 2020 and beyond, and with that in mind, um, I will admit there were things yesterday I liked. You know, that's different than being excited about a second win in 11 games. I mean, I I don't personally understand that. You know, I think you're trying way too hard if you're talking about how you feel so great today that they won. Um, But but I – 
the, the, my non-excitement over the result yesterday is exclusive from the fact that I like some of the performances yesterday. Uh, it's it, it, and, and as far as the win with Dwayne Haskins at the helm, I said a few weeks ago, if they win a game or two because Dwayne Haskins is playing and playing well, I'm going to sort of be okay with that. I think I would have preferred that Detroit hit a Hail Mary at the gun to beat them, but you still had the benefit of Dwayne getting all the confidence of the last two drives, which I'm going to talk about here in a moment. Um, but look, you know, uh, I, I'm just... I'm not here. I, I, I personally, I think the people that are sitting there saying, "Oh, I'm so so happy today. Finally, they got a win." I, I think I, I think you're not being completely honest. Um, but anyway, uh, let's get to the game take because there were some things I liked. Pay attention. Here's Kevin's game take. Okay, um, I'm going to start with the things that I liked, and I'm going to start probably surprisingly to to many of you with Dwayne Haskins um, because I really liked him at the end of the game. And I realized that he overthrew people all day long. I realized accuracy was an issue. I'm going to get to that a little bit later on. I realized that his numbers weren't weren't great. They were awful, actually. 13 of 29 for 156 yards, an interception, a fumble, no offensive touchdowns. I realized all that, all right? I realized that he, that he missed taking the knee in the victory formation at the end of the game because he was taking selfies, you know, in the stands. You know, and I'm going to get to that here in a bit. But... With all of that understood, uh, he made big plays with the game on the line. Not on one drive, but the final two drives. Down 16-13 to 13 with 531 left in the game with the ball on their own 22. He led the first of two scoring drives. The first one tied the game. The second won the game after the turnover, after the Dunbar interception. And on those two drives, he was 6 of 9 for 79 yards had a huge scramble for 11 yards on a second and 10 with 43 seconds left and the ball at their own 46. And then on third and five at the Detroit 38-yard line, he found some time and connected with Terry McLaurin on the key 17-yard completion that put them in winning field goal position. Over those final two drives, he played with an urgency, a competitive level that matched the moment. I understand they're 1-9. and nine. I understand Detroit's 3-6-1 and one coming in. Okay, but still, both of those teams are trying to win the game. All right, these professional athletes on the field and the coaches, they're both trying to win the game. So for them, despite the records, this was a competitive moment in a regular season game with everybody trying to win the game. And his competitive level matched the moment. He played with a level of confidence that I have sort of, you know, been touching on going back to the preseason games. He does not play scared. He's not afraid. He carries himself like he belongs. This is why going back to August, I wanted to see him sooner rather than later. I thought this team would be bad this year. I wanted this season to be about finding out about him and the other young players. With him, I've never thought going back to the first time I watched him in the first preseason game, who was that against? Cincinnati? Cleveland? Whoever it was. I never thought he needed to be handled with care, like he was a breakable or fragile thing. But anyway, you know, if you're one of those people who believe that he's not going to be any good at quarterback, there was plenty of support for that early in the game into the second half. I'll get to that in a few minutes. If you're one of those people who believe he's going to turn out to be a good player, then the final two drives, even against a bad football team, give you support for that belief. Uh, you're 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 a moron if you say 
that he didn't deliver with the game on the line. You weren't watching then. You know, you can say whatever you want about the rest of his performance. I'd give the overall performance like a C minus, okay? And it was probably an F or a D plus, D minus at best before the final two drives. But he delivered with the game on the line. You know, even when he missed a throw, he missed being aggressive, like the deep shot to McLaurin. You know, on the third and four, down 16 to 13 with just over two minutes to go at the Detroit 28 yard line. I, I like when people are aggressive like that. It says to me that he's confident. You know, that throw was similar to a lot of his missed throws. Receivers open, but he did not throw with great touch. But I still love that he looked deep on that. That was a touchdown, should have been a touchdown. He missed it. He missed several throws, missed a, a touchdown early. We're going to get to – there's a part of the, my, my game take here on the, the list of things that I didn't like that includes Dwayne also. But I love the fact that this dude plays like he thinks he belongs. Like he's looking around saying, I'm as good as anybody else. We all know in life confidence is so important, especially in young people. You know, that dude thinks he belie- he believes he he belongs. He believes he should have been out there day one. I love that about him right now. There's an athletic arrogance to him that I think you have to have at that position. And with the game on the line, he delivered. He did. I had friends texting me throughout the game um, telling me how bad they thought he was. And I get it, you know, if you're if you're one of those people that's just looking at the result and looking at the overthrows and looking at the numbers, they weren't good. But there was still something about the way he was carrying himself for me that I was encouraged by. Um, it's 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 hard. Like I I, I my perspective is that um, I didn't play professional football. Most of you didn't play professional football. But a lot of us have competed athletically, you know, at, at a, a decent level. You know, you, you don't have to go back to third grade, you know, uh, you know, uh, lower level hoop basketball to find the last time you competed. We all know what, you know, competitive athletes and an athletic arrogance is and the way people sort of carry themselves. And I think I have a, a decent sense of that. I like the the confidence he plays with. I like the aggressive mindset that he tends to take. And then there are things naturally that he has that are encouraging. He's got size. He's got a strong arm. He looks to be aggressive. You know, he needs a coaching uh, staff that understands that. He's got very good vision and feel and good pocket presence. Man, I love the way the way he's willing to run. You know, he had three scrambles in the game for 28 yards. You know, these are all things that I, I think are encouraging. I did not think at Ohio, him coming out of Ohio State that he had this kind of mobility. I did not. The biggest surprise to me, Dwayne Haskins, Ohio State quarterback, Dwayne Haskins that I've seen here, Aaron, because you watched him at Ohio State as well. We, You and I are huge college football fans. He is so much more mobile mm-hmm. than I ever thought. He's much better at extending plays, at creating more time, which, you know, if, if we were watching a young guy who dropped back, was confused pre-snap, and then made it worse by being essentially a stationary dead duck in the pocket, sitting duck in the pocket, we'd, I would have thrown in the towel already. That's not what you see. You see a guy out there trying to make plays. 
You know, one of the reasons I wanted to see him play a lot this year is I wanted to see how he competed, how he handled adversity, like down in the fourth quarter and needing to make some plays. So what? He doesn't have a great supporting cast. So what? He's playing for a coaching staff that probably won't be here next year, hopefully. But that doesn't mean that a lot can't be learned about this guy. He's not without talent, people. If you're missing that, we just disagree. I'm not saying it's going to develop into elite franchise type of production. I'm not. He's got a long way to go. You know, he's got a lot to experience, learn. He's got. He needs coaching and talent around him. That's going to be crucial. Um, and if you told me that that I had to make a $1,000 bet today on whether or not he's going to be a top 12-ish kind of quarterback, you know, a franchise-type quarterback, I'd probably bet against it. I would. But with that said, he's got something. There's some talent there. You can see it. There's some urgency. There's com- there's some compete. There's some swagger. You know, even before those final two drives, the texts I was getting with my from my friends, I'm like, you know what? You're right. The production's terrible through three quarters or, or whatever it was. But I didn't feel quite the same way. I just like the way he competes. And I love the way he delivered on those final two drives. I just sort of wish that he had delivered and then Detroit had thrown a Hail Mary to win the game at the end so that they were 1-10 and, and still with a shot to get the number one overall pick. Because at one point yesterday, they're losing and Cincinnati's tied with Pittsburgh. Um, bottom line is, he made the plays and throws over the final five minutes of that game that ultimately led to the the uh, the winning scores. And the other guy, who's gotten more time as a backup over the years, did not. I've got more on Haskins, um, and it's the part of the game that wasn't so good coming up here in a minute. Also on my list of things that I liked, four takeaways, six sacks. You know, Moreau had two interceptions. John Allen stripped uh, that guy Bo Scarborough, who I really like. God, I loved him at Alabama. I was so surprised that he was a seventh-round pick. Even more surprised that he didn't play his first NFL game till a week ago. He had a, he nearly had 100 yards. I think he averaged five and a half yards per carry. But um, Allen stripped him. Dunbar had the huge pick that gave the Redskins the chance with great field position to win the game. The Redskins, you know, yesterday were plus two in turnover margin. They are dead even on the season in turnover margin. If you want to understand the importance of that, it, it, it's a reflection really of just how bad they are as a football team, that they have a zero turnover margin, all right? It's dead even, and they're two and nine. When you see two and nine, I would bet you, Aaron, over the years, that 90, 80% of the time, 75% of the time minimum, Those teams have a significant negative turnover margin. And the Redskins, it's dead even on the season, which tells you just how bad they've been to be 2-9. and Because that's a very crucial number that impacts the results of NFL games. And they haven't been a minus turnover team this year. And yet they're still 2-9. and Uh, They had six sacks on the day yesterday, courtesy of what I thought was a definite new aggressive approach coaching-wise. They showed some looks they haven't shown. They had some blitzes they haven't shown. Best pressure of the year for a Redskins defense. Terry McLaurin's on the list of things I liked list. I mean, come on. This guy is, you know, every week we're, we're saying the same thing. He can play. You know, he's got he's got deep speed, which threatens a defense. Five catches, 72 yards yesterday. you got to be careful with him because he can go right by you. He should have had a better day if Haskins had been accurate. 
Uh, Kelvin Harmon um, is a guy going back to training camp I, I predicted would be a guy that would ultimately stick and produce for this team, and now he's getting the opportunity to do it. He's got eight catches for 96 yards the last two weeks, had a great one-handed grab yesterday. Um, I think there is evidence from Harmon. It's early, but I think he can be a solid number two in this league. You know, he blocks really well. He's got good size. You know, Darius Geis's numbers aren't going to blow anybody away from yesterday, but I like the way he runs. He runs really hard. He gets a yard or two, and it looks like he should be minus on a play. Um, you know, to those that hate seeing Wendell Smallwood out there, I've seen a lot of that. Some of you have tweeted me or texted me saying, what is Smallwood doing out there? Why, aren't, why isn't Geis getting those snaps? You know, Smallwood's only 25 years old. He's a free agent. They probably want a better look at him. They're not going to have Chris Thompson next year more likely than not. Smallwood might be a guy they want to bring in. They may want to sign Smallwood. I mean, I would hope that next year it's Bryce Love and it's Darius Geis and, you know, somebody like a Smallwood. I don't know if AP, I think AP is going to be on the team. Who knows? You know, there's a lot, lot of who knows because we don't know who the coaching staff's going to be. But I don't have a problem seeing Smallwood on the field. John Allen's on the list of things I liked. I thought it was one of his better games of the year. Uh, he had a strip fumble, had a sack, or a half of one. I thought Ioannidis was really good. He's been really good for a lot of the year. The special teams, it wasn't just the kickoff return for touchdown by Sims, but the opening kickoff was a 34-yard return. Hopkins was 4-4 four for four with the game winner, and Tress Way continues to be outstanding and headed potentially for a Pro Bowl, I would think. You know, the only player on this team with a chance. Uh, Fabian Moreau, two picks. <clears throat> it's clear to me that he's better on the outside than than covering you know the slot. Uh, he's just an outside guy with the length. He can run. He's not good inside. He's better outside. He had two picks yesterday. I hope they know that. And then lastly, on the things I liked list, you know Landon Collins. Um, when they signed him to the big deal, there was a lot of uh, criticism because people said you know he's just a box safety. You know, he's not a cover safety. And others that said, nah, he's more than that. You know, he's more than that. Here's what we know for sure after 11 games. He is a very good box safety. Landon Collins can play in the box. He gets after it. Uh, I don't know if we know enough at this point to know if he can cover. He hasn't gotten beat a lot. It's not like he's getting beat on the regular. He's just not making a lot of plays in coverage. But he is good in the box. Now, it, it, was that worth his contract? I don't know. Um, but, you know, he, he's been one of the better players productivity-wise for them on what's been a bad defense. Uh, the list of things I did not like. Um, I'm going to start with Dwayne Haskins and his accuracy. Accuracy is a problem with him. He had some of the same issues at Ohio State when they played better teams. He missed a lot of throws yesterday. He's missed throws previously, easy throws that were open. Uh, a few more difficult throws that he wasn't even close on. You know, I've talked about how he throws with anticipation yesterday. Not as much. He sort of waited on some of those out routes a little bit too long. Um, didn't throw with much touch at all. Uh, you know, 13 of 29 yesterday. With, you know, the opportunity probably had he thrown the ball accurately to be, I don't know, 20, 22 of 32. Because some of those plays would have extended drives. He claimed he hurt his wrist, um, but wouldn't elaborate it uh, elaborate on it in the press conference, uh, and then said he was fine. 
Um, he missed a, a wide-open McLaurin for an easy touchdown on that drive that produced the team's first field goal. It's a shame because he had done a really good job, again, in the pocket, feeling it, and he got through his progressions, and then he just threw a terrible ball. Um you know, he'd gotten him down there on that drive, scrambled for 18 yards, found McLaurin for 10 yards on a third and nine, and then he misses the easy touchdown pass. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, he was inaccurate. Few few drives later, miss McLaurin deep, miss Sprinkle on an easy one. Um, you know, one thing that you're going to see, uh, Detroit is a man coverage team primarily. And they played a lot of zone, I believe, against Haskins yesterday. It's what I saw. I thought it looked like majority zone coverage, and I think Haskins is going to see that from a lot of teams, even man teams. Matt Patricia loves playing man, you know, and I bet you the Redskins prepped for man last week, you know, expecting that. You know, they shouldn't. Teams are going to try to confuse Haskins with a lot of zone coverage. Uh, Haskins missed uh, Trey Quinn on a third and two. If the ball's thrown well there, it's a first down. His interception was poorly thrown behind Harmon and late. Had a couple of other throws on those outs where I said that he didn't throw with the anticipation we saw, like in the Buffalo game in particular. Uh, Nearly had a couple of those picked. Uh, The deep shot to Harmon in the fourth quarter on a third and 17 was overthrown, although I thought Harmon slowed down a little bit. Um, I, but I actually love the fact that he took the deep shot on third and 17 rather than just, you know, just taking the check down. Um, now, the check down provides some really good opportunities, and I think probably he's going to learn to get to the check down a little bit more um, than he did and has. But, you know, accuracy would be on the top of the things I didn't like list. His accuracy, it's been an issue. He's got to get better in that area. It limits his potential if it doesn't improve significantly. The better quarterbacks in this league throw into the 60s percentage-wise, and the really good ones are between 65 and 70 now. He was 44.8% yesterday. That's terrible. He was 54.3% a week ago. Last week there were some drops, not yesterday. The good news, though, is he's able to create and extend plays, giving receivers more time to get open. I I think that is a, a natural ability he has I did not think he had coming into the NFL from Ohio State. He's got to convert on those, though, with better throws. Uh, The run defense yesterday is on the things I didn't like list. They gave up 175 yards on the ground. Um, Scarborough, 5.5 per per carry. Driscoll had 63 yards on nine carries, several of those on read option keepers. Um, Detroit ran for five and a half yards per carry. That's not very good. I'm not sure why the Lions didn't run it even more. The penalties, too many of them. Uh, I know Callahan thinks it's so uncharacteristic of them to, to commit penalties. You know, all the shots he's taken at Gruden in the past. Um, eight more penalties yesterday for 63 yards. That's 19 penalties the last two weeks. So it's not uncharacteristic anymore. Uh, the back-to-back false start penalties after they got to the, the uh, Lion 12-yard line in the second quarter when Haskins hit McLaurin on a big throw. Um, Sheriff had one of those. That's, that's bad. Um, and then finally, on the list of things that I didn't like, I mean, we're going to talk about the Haskins selfie at the end of the game. I, we're going to get to that, and we're going to get to that with JP here in a moment. You cannot take a timeout with 20 seconds left after that third down throw to McLaurin that got him an easy field goal range, okay? You know, Callahan got excited there, too. You know, he made a mistake. And then he, made, he, he doubled the mistake by sending the field goal team out there with 20 seconds to go to kick it. You tell me the last time you have ever seen an NFL coach send his field goal team out on a first and 10 
with 20 seconds to go to kick the game-winning field goal in a 16-16 game, in a tie game. You know why you can't think of it? I challenge you. It's never happened. Have you ever seen that happen, Aaron? No. Why? Well, well, a couple of reasons. One, you don't call your timeout with 20 seconds left. Of course. And then two, you trust someone enough to either get out of bounds, throw it, or not do anything so stupid you can't recover. You run the ball, and then you take your time, you get up to the line of scrimmage, and you spike it with five seconds. You made the mistake by calling the timeout. Don't, you know... Uh, here's here's why you don't kick it with 20 seconds. You don't take the timeout, first of all. But you don't kick it with 20 seconds. Because, God forbid, if you miss it, they're two completions potentially away from field goal range to beating you in regulation. you got to make sure that if your kicker misses that kick, you're going to OT. Period. Now, if you want to take the timeout with eight seconds to go in case the snap gets botched or something, you know, and you can get up and throw an incomplete pass and try, not, try it again, okay. Uh, it, but, you know... There, there's going to be a lot of criticism, and there there has been since the game ended yesterday about Dwayne, you know, being excited and and making a mistake. I mean, when's the last time a a head coach sent his field goal kicker out to kick the game winner on first down with 20 seconds to go? The answer is I don't think it's ever happened, and it's and Callahan admitted he made the mistake afterwards. Good for him. Good God, we cannot have him back. Um, all right, a uh, quick word about mybookie.ag, uh, and then we're going to bring J.P. Finley into the conversation. Mybookie.ag, if you're, if you're trying to find a place to make bets during this you know November, December, January football season, now with college hoops and the NBA ramping up, uh, I would recommend mybookie.ag. Uh, they've got quality lines. They give you quality opportunities and varied opportunities to make wagers, straight bets, parlays, teasers, futures, in-game action. Um, fast payouts, uh, you know, as long as you follow their rules. Um, but you can rely on them. That's the key. There are places out there you can't rely on. I wouldn't tell you guys to bet with mybookie.ag if I didn't know that they were reliable. Use my promo code when you get there, Kevin DC, and they'll give you an offer opportunity. They'll double your first deposit if you want that to happen. Not a bad deal. Can't take the money right back out. You got to play at a certain level to then get the money out. But if you're planning on wagering from now through the holiday, Days, take advantage of my offer, Kevin DC at mybookie.ag today. They'll double your first deposit. Go there uh, if you don't have anywhere else to go, and I promise you that it works and they are reliable. And ultimately, if you win, you will get paid. All right, let's bring in JP Finley from NBC Sports Washington. Talk a little bit about the game and talk even more about what happened at the very end of the game and afterwards. Um, I actually. Um, Maybe we just take the whole day chronologically. Maybe that's the easy way to do it. And we'll start with this. The reports during the morning that Josh Norman wasn't going to start. Have we seen the end of Josh Norman? Um, did this have did him not being deactivated and being active but not playing have something to do with a, a contract clause? Give me what you know about Norman. I don't know. I don't know that we've seen the end. I, I don't expect them to necessarily release him or anything. Um Although at this point, maybe nothing would, would be completely shocking. I, I think we've seen the end of him out there as a corner, at, at least for a few games. Yeah. And maybe that'll change, but Fabian Moreau played better on the outside. Um, and and you got to point out that Jeff Driscoll was really bad, and that was a big part of the secondary success. But I think with Norman, I, I didn't have that he was going to be an active report. I knew they were planning on not playing him. But I, I didn't know that he was going to be inactive. 
I later heard in the day he thought he was going to be inactive. So he was pretty, pretty stunned by being active and then not playing, and then especially going out there for that, uh, I think it was an extra point or a field goal rep that, that everybody saw. Um, I think if you're Josh, he wanted to be inactive because, you know, he's battling a few injuries here and there, and if he's not going to play, I, I, I don't think he wants to deal with kind of the embarrassment of being on the field and not playing. And so part of me wonders if part of the plan to, not ha- to make him active and be on the field and not play was a little bit of a tr- trying to embarrass the player is not, the, not accurate, but maybe sending a very clear and concise message. Yeah, so, I mean, part of me, you know, I've gotten to the point where things like this, I I just sort of, um, I I just sort of don't care as much uh, about them. Um, He's not going to be on this team next year, you know? They should have unloaded him in the offseason. I mean, there's a bigger conversation, and I did it on radio this morning. I haven't done it on the podcast. It essentially goes like this. You know, they had a chance for a total reboot last January, which would have included unloading Josh Norman and $8.3 million worth of savings to their cap. And if you had gone through the list of all the people that you could have cut loose in the offseason, Vernon Davis, Jordan Reed, you know, we, we know the whole list. They, they did cut some guys like Mason Foster and Zach Brown, you know, and Stacey McGee loose. Um, but if you'd done all of that, then you could have taken the, the, the whole, you know, Alex Smith hit. You know, in 2019, and you could have started with, you know, some additional picks if you had traded Trent or traded Kerrigan with even more cap savings. Like, all of that should have been in play, but it's not. They didn't do it, but I think we're heading towards that now. I mean, the net of it on Josh Norman is whether he plays or not again this year, JP, he's not going to be on the roster next year, clearly. No. Yeah. They they will absolutely release him in February or whatever, if not earlier. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Kevin, they, they were at least one year late to the rebuild. And what will be telling to me is if they fully embrace the rebuild after this year, oh. which should be so, so obvious. But, you, you know, you never know what's going to happen in Ashburn. Yeah, I mean, you never know. You, you never know. I mean, I, um, you know, I, I – God, I don't know if it was your tweet or Kime's tweet about um, – I forget what it was even about this weekend, but I, I essentially, you know, had this thought over the weekend that, you know, basically if you look back, you know, at what we all were sort of suggesting, you know, the team do, and they didn't, you know, they, they completely ignored, that we all essentially could have managed the team better from Twitter than they did, you know, on Twitter than they did from Ashburn, because really they'd be in, in a much better position had they just taken Twitter advice on how to handle the offseason. Um, let's get to the I, I think I know the tweet you were talking about because you replied to me. It was um, the amount of money they spent at tight end. And yes. And in the NFL at tight end. Uh, so they spent, I think, just about $17 mil at tight end. $15 million of that was between Jordan Reed and Vernon Davis. In 2019, those two players have given them 10 catches. Exactly. It was. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It was your tweet, what you just described, and I retweeted and, and I said, most Redskins fans had this last January. I think all of us could manage the team via Twitter better than they do in Ashburn. Um, let's talk about the game. Uh, they won a game. 
Um, I open the show by essentially saying I'm not one of these people that, you know, my Monday's impacted in a glorious way when they win to get to two and nine. I'm not I'm not walking around with a pep in my step because they beat the Lions. I'm just not. But it was an it was an interesting evaluation day because it's the most competitive game they've had in a while. So we got to see people perform start to finish with the game on the line. What did you make of it? You know, I think um, defensively they did some good things. I was actually impressed might be too far of a stretch, but I thought Greg Minuski opened things up for the first time in a long time. I mean, he showed some, some disguised blitzes. He had multiple people at the line of scrimmage before snaps. You know, whether he was trying to confuse Driscoll or just send people from, from different spots, I, I was impressed by that. Um, I thought Kevin O'Connell called a pretty good game. I thought he did a pretty good job of mixing in play action when he needed to. Um, I, I think the young receivers, there's a lot to be excited about. Uh, McLaurin, McLaurin's not even like, a, oh, he could really become something. He, he's there. He's a really good player. Kelvin Harmon had a true highlight reel catch. Um, they're missing a good tight end. I mean, you, you can see that clear as day. If, if they had somebody that could separate, be a difference maker, Definitely. I, I think that's got to be pretty high on their list of needs this offseason. Um I thought Haskins was – you can't take away what he did at the end because what he did at the end was the most important part of the game. And I am not a person that – there are people that care more about numbers and analytics than they do wins and losses. I'll never be that guy, particularly a quarterback. Um, and he, he was he was good enough on the last drive, and that's what mattered. But I think the inaccuracy stuff is uh, – is persistent at this point and, and something that really needs to get fixed. I, I know he said he uh, injured his wrist during the game. He didn't provide much more details beyond that. But some of those misses, the miss to Terry McLaurin in the first half at the goal line, that, that's a must hit. You cannot miss that throw in the pros. Yeah, you know, um, I talked about it already in the podcast, but I, I want to, you know, I want to mention it to you um, because I think it's a, it's an interesting conversation that you bring up because, you know, we all see what we want to see. I, I was sort of predisposed going into all of this that I didn't think he was going to be very good. I, th- I think that he was overdrafted. I was not a big fan of his coming out of Ohio State. I did not think just as a fan and a big college football fan um, that he was going to be a really good pro quarterback. Um, but uh, there are a lot of things about him that uh, that I'm surprised at. Um, he has an athletic arrogance that I like. Uh, he's unafraid. He plays aggressively. Um, he does some things well that I didn't think he could do well. Like I think he's got great feel in the pocket. He's much more mobile than I ever thought. But to your point, he's he's inaccurate, and the accuracy accuracy thing is a huge limiting factor. Um, with that said, I don't know how you watched that game yesterday and you see t- a guy over the final two drives where he had to make throws, he had to make a run, he had to deliver, and he did it, you know, and then you're going to still say that, you know, the guy was a horrible, had a horrible game. I, I, don't, I don't view it that way either. I think, I, I think people that judge things just on numbers sort of miss, missed what happened there on the final two drives. I thought that that was encouraging. Yeah, you know, it's so bizarre what is happening with Haskins. It seems like like, like Haskins has become politicized. Like, people are just in on him or all the way out, and there's no in-between, whereas there, there needs to be a middle ground. I, I don't think 
he was pretty bad for three quarters yesterday, but then he was quite good when he needed to be. And and that if this was Alex Smith, I said this on my podcast. If this was Alex Smith a year ago, everybody would have said, "Oh, Smith's just a winner. That's the intangible stuff he brings to the game because they won the game." And so I, I think on some levels he needs to be benefited of the doubt. One thing I find remarkable is I think he, he's more accurate on his deep throws than he is on the intermediate and short stuff. And, and the struggles with the out route are, are just kind of all over the place now, and that's been a, a, a very consistent problem, really, even since preseason. Yeah, so, the, the funny thing about that, just to interrupt for a second, is the best throws he made in his first start in Buffalo were the out routes under pressure. And then yesterday he... You know, I've always I've been impressed with his ability to throw with anticipation until yesterday, where he waited on those out routes a little bit too long, and you know, and, and so yeah, yesterday the, the, you had the accuracy on the short throws, the medium throws, Miss McLaurin in the end zone, a wide open touchdown after he created a little bit more time for himself, and then the the out the out throws were, were late too. So he's got to get coached, you know, and he's got to get encouraged, but you know. You and I both know this because, you know, not because we ever played professionally, but, you know, we, we've, we've played sports and we've competed. That dude's one of those guys, and we've known many of them, that he walks onto the court or walks out onto the field and thinks he belongs and, th- and looks around and, say, and, and says to himself, I'm better than any of those guys. And that's a big part of succeeding at, at, at any level athletically. That's the part of him that I like, that I'm encouraged about. Especially at that position. Yeah. And, like, you need your quarterback to have that mindset because other players will buy into it. And I think, I think these young wideouts are. And I think there is a – I think just winning the, winning the damn game yesterday helps some of the O-line buy into Haskins. And, you know, that's where you got veterans that have already made – millions of dollars that don't need to kind of believe in all of this. And I think I, – I do think yesterday was a big step forward for him, just getting a win. Um, but you, you'd still like to see him – here's I, – I, I got to get off Twitter, maybe. But I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm fighting with all these people. Like, like the, the crowd that thinks Haskins is infallible, they keep going back to this, he's just a rookie, he's just a rookie. And that is completely true. I am not dismissing the guy. I I, I think he's got a ton of potential. We're starting to see it in flashes. I am not the guy saying that, that, you know, they need to start over any of that, right? But, and and so when your defense of the the player is that he's a rookie, he's a rookie, there's no rule that says rookies can't play well. And you see it happen in the NFL. Of course. So that's my challenge is, all right, Yeah, I mean, look, uh, if you told me today I have to place a large wager on whether or not he's going to turn out to be really good, you know, top 15, top 12 franchise type of guy, I would probably bet against it. I I, I think I would bet against him becoming that. But I'm open-minded enough to know that when I see what happened over those final two drives, when I see a guy that intuitively I feel carries himself in a way that you sort of have to carry yourself at that position, that there's something there to keep me intrigued and to keep me watching. And it's only been three starts. Let's get to the end of the game, all right? 
Um, because yep. this obviously became the story when the game ended. Him not being there to take the victory formation knee. I have not shared with my podcast audience my view on this. I'm going to share it with you, and then I'm going to get your reaction. So I've got two things on this. Number one. I don't care when it happened, whether it was before the final snap, after the final snap. I don't care that he thought the game was over or not. The point is, the game wasn't over. He should have been out there taking the final snap of the game, period. If you think it was okay or funny that he missed it, you know, personally, there aren't, you know, there are many of us, me included, that I wouldn't want you coaching my son. All right. Now, with that said, it's not the end of the world by any stretch. He's young. He was excited. He made a mistake. And to me, the bigger issue is that the staff, the organization, that they don't blow it off, that they take it seriously, and they use it as a teaching moment, and it doesn't happen again. The world's not going to end. People aren't going to stop breathing because of what he did yesterday. But to say that it wasn't a mistake, to me, is like trying to, to excuse the inexcusable. Your thoughts? I'm right there with you. I think what happened was a, a spontaneous brain fart where the kid just messed up. Um, I think Cal, I, I wrote a story on NBC Sports Washington this morning. This should be a, a three-sentence conversation between Bill Callahan and Dwayne Haskins. Callahan calls him into his office and says, that was incredibly stupid. Don't ever do that again. Dwayne says, I understand, Coach. I'm sorry. It won't happen again. And Callahan says, good. Get out of here. Like, that's all that needs to happen. You, you have to acknowledge it. It was dumb, but not the end of the world, and the ship keeps moving. They, people are making way too much out of it. Yeah, I tend to totally agree. And, you know, I mean, old Callahan, old man Callahan, he got so excited that he called timeout with 20 seconds and sent his field goal kicker out there to try to kick a field goal with 20 seconds left in the game. I am pretty sure in my lifetime of watching football, I don't think I've ever seen on a first and 10 the kicker sent out in a tie game to kick the field goal with 20 seconds left. I don't think I've ever seen that before. I don't think it's ever happened before. So, um, you know, Callahan got a little excited there. He admitted his mistakes. Now, right, the, he owned that, which I appreciate. Yeah, so now that leads me to this. You were there for the postgame presser with Dwayne Haskins. Um, I haven't played any of it yet on the podcast. Um, I would like to play um, a part of it here momentarily, but you were there, you know, People hit him on this, you know, taking the selfie and not being out there right from the get-go. Give me your overall impressions of how he handled that press conference. It's not great. I mean, you know, Dwayne, I said this on my podcast, I've gotten to know Dwayne a little bit. He's a way better communicator in in casual settings than when he's at at a podium with a microphone. I, I don't know what that difference is, but it's something I've noticed. Like well, there's there's pressure. Door, there's pressure. A lot of people aren't good public speakers in front of large groups, but are great one-on-one. But I don't know that it's that either, Kev. And certainly you're right. It is pressure. But you talk about his athletic arrogance and, and how that's an asset on the field, and I agree with you. I think some of that carries over into these press conferences yeah. where – he doesn't necessarily like getting questioned on things that didn't go well um, because he believes – I think lots of athletes, lots of quarterbacks believe 
that the guys asking the, the people asking the questions don't actually know what they're talking about for one. Yeah. And that and that I, I think sometimes there's this thought process of like, you know, why are you only asking me about this? We won the game. And, and the other thing to remember, the thing about yesterday, Kevin, was that that was Dwayne's first win, and by the time he got to that podium for that press conference, it was probably only about 30 minutes or so after he came running off the field, high-fiving and hugging people. So I just don't know that it's enough time to like really process all of that. Um, I, I don't know. The, the press conferences, honestly, I mean, kind of going, he's a soft-spoken guy. I don't know that he enjoys that. I don't know that it's going to improve. I, I, I expect it to because, you know, like like the accuracy, he is only a rookie, and, and it can get better. You know, I think you I think you nailed it, and it's sort of the way I perceived it um, when you said that that athletic arrogance sort of also shows up in 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 that or it showed up in that press conference yesterday because he was getting questioned early after a win about some things that probably were. Um, a little bit sensitive to him, and he handled them with sort of a competitive or combative, you know, uh, style, which, you know, probably is not something that you'd coach him up on. You know, you take accountability and you say, I screwed up. You know, the, the best way for him to have handled that was, I made a mistake. I promise you, I'm never going to make it again. That was stupid. I was excited. Uh, it was immature. Uh, you know, that's all I got. I, my fault. You know, and and by the way, he then said about his inaccuracy that he blamed it on a wrist injury. Is he injured or not? I don't know. That got weird too because then we tried. Yeah, I, I didn't. I, I didn't have the microphone, but people tried to press him for a little more information on the wrist injury, and he said, "No, I'm good. I'm fine." So I, I don't know that. That one was kind of weird, and then combine that, last week I asked him about the video that went crazy on Twitter of him and the O-line, and if he saw it, and he said, oh, you know, I don't, I don't really do Twitter, and I'm like, yeah, you do, man. Like, <laughs> we all follow you on Twitter. So there's, 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 but here's the thing. It's like we started the day, or we started our conversation talking about in the morning with Josh Norman, and the Norman stuff particularly doesn't matter, right? Right. I just, the Haskett stuff at the podium, if you're good, none of this stuff matters. I, I mean, nobody enjoys, from what I understand of other media markets, speaking to Ben Roethlisberger has never been a real treat. But the guy wins games and has them in the playoffs consistently over the course of his career. Sure. Won a couple of Super Bowls. Like, it, 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 honestly, talking with Case Keenum earlier this year was not a real treat. He was, uh, he was often pretty short, and it wasn't always a pleasant conversation. That stuff isn't that important if, if, the, if, the, if the things that are happening on the field are good enough. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I, I think that our fan base, because of the RG3 experience, um, is going to be more sensitive to sort of the overall personality of the team's quarterback. And, you know, there are a couple of flags. It's up to your own sort of subjective view as to whether or not they're red or not. 
Um, but you know the 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 forty bucks ahead, fifty bucks ahead on draft night at a bowling alley with the announcement of the H and H, you know, marketing company, the 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 personal logo embroidered in, in in the Bentley. You know, he had a logo when he got to Ohio State. You know, the the league done messed up. You know, there, there's a lot of that stuff. You know, out there, and I think that if this fan base didn't go through what they went through from 2012 through 2014 they'd be a hell of a lot less sensitive to it. I don't know if that makes any sense. I, no, I hear you. I think, like, if you take it all individually, it's, it's nothing. But when you, when you add it all up, it's like, ah, there's a lot going on here. Um, I mean, hell, missing the last snap of a game is not yeah, good. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, the one thing about the logos and stuff, that stuff just happened, like, the way Instagram is and all, like, these young kids with, like, Photoshop and their ability to, like, just make cool stuff on their phones, I, I, the logo stuff doesn't concern me at all because that stuff is, like, so prevalent and... and don't don't, refer, don't refer to me as a boomer. If you're, about to, if you're about to refer to me as a boomer, I'm going to hang up. No, I know what you're I saying. I, I would never. Look, I mean, whether you're a boomer or a millennial or whatever... You know, it's really not even an age thing. I think it's a perspective thing. And I think people that 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 more more likely than not, it's younger people that probably think they're no it's not a big deal to be sort of self uh, to be self-absorbed a little bit or they don't even view it as being self-absorbed with a personal logo. It's just normal. Whereas, you know, certain people look at it and say wish the concern would be more about us rather, you know, and, and the team rather than you. That's all. I agree. I, I think perspective is a very good word on a lot of this stuff. Um, I, I just think, I just think he needs. If, if he plays better, all the rest of this stuff kind of goes of away. Or maybe, maybe his press conferences are even more exacerbated that he doesn't care, and that becomes a reality of, of the guy we're all covering and rooting for and whatever else. But if if he had a if he had a big game and we went in there and all the questions were about, hey, what about that great throw to Harmon? What about that great throw to Sprinkle? I think it would be a different tone. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know that, but that's just a guess. I, I, we haven't had the opportunity. You know what? They're 2-9. and nine. I, I personally wish that he had driven them like he did on those final two drives where he went 6-9 for nine for 79 yards, had a big scramble. He delivered. He delivered in the clutch. Bottom line. It's, a, it's impossible to debate the fact that with the game on the line, no matter how bad these two teams are, he actually delivered big-time throws, had a big-time run, and, and, and was a big part of winning that football game. Um, with that said, I wish that Detroit had c- completed a Hail Mary to beat the Redskins at the end so that they can get Chase Young next year, um, which, uh, which th- that dude is a monster. And, and I'm watching the both, you know, Nick Bosa last night, JP, that's what the Redskins have missed for so long is just a defensive game wrecker. Somebody like that. They just need that person, uh, on their team. They don't have that right now. I mean, you watch that Niners game, they were just so dominant. I think Chase Young is that guy. What a great story it would be. You know, he grew up in PG County. He's a massive kid. I mean, it'd be just an incredible story if they can get it to happen. Um, I, I think they should go all in on making that happen. 
we'll, we'll see what we'll see what transpires. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, uh, Carolina. I think, yeah, go ahead. I don't think yesterday's win knocks them out of the young sweepstakes. I really don't. It knocks them out of the number one pick opportunity because Cincinnati's not going to win two games. You know, they they. Uh, got the number one pick we'd have a whole different conversation on our hands too yeah the, the, exactly the, of course and so Cincinnati will end up with the one and pro, you know who knows they they might deal it you know or they might take Joe Burrow I, they certainly need a quarterback um, and maybe the Redskins will be there at number two with a chance to ch- take Chase Young uh, but the, you know they move themselves back into the conversation now of if they win another one or two you know they could be picking five or six when all is said and done yeah, I you know I'm saying that like I'm rooting for them to lose and on some level I, I don't want them to win too many games I want them to get the best draft possibility and yes people I understand that it's still going to be you know Dan and whomever he appoints or Dan and Bruce or whatever and they'll still probably screw it up whatever I'd still r- rather them have the number 1 or number 2 pick versus the 6 or 7 pick with that said JP I'm glad that Haskins is playing and if they are going to win a few games I'm so glad it's with him and not Keenum or McCoy and and other young players, Geis sure. and McLaurin and, and Kelvin Harmon and you know and, and seeing Moreau out there with Moreland and 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 seeing that come together, Holcomb. Uh, that's what they they should have been doing even earlier than they did it. I agree. I, I think that is it's if they start winning games and the young nucleus gets to. I mean, let's just say they they go two and one in the last three games because they can beat the Giants and the Cowboys don't have anything to play for or something. I, I do think that would give these young guys momentum for next year. I, I, I think that could matter, or, or just a reason to buy in. But then, you know, you got to wonder what's going to happen elsewhere in that building and, and what a couple of wins with young guys could change the perception of, of what types of overhauls need to be made. Oh, don't! And, oh, please, please, don't! Don't tell us that a couple more wins are going to lead to you know no change, and we're going to have to listen to Bill Callahan for another year. Please, I don't think I could take I, it. I, I don't. I, I don't know that that's the case. I, <laughs> I, I'm not even necessarily talking about Callahan. I'm talking about big picture, massive changes that. Yeah. that that probably need to be made at this point. Of course. And I think that's the concern, is that if they show some sort of promise with these young players, then Dan's going to believe that Bruce was right. And the the one thing I would say is I don't – the only thing that I think would be a benefit to winning games is the personal – confidence that may come with it for some of these young players. I don't think when we get to late September, you know, next year that anybody's going to be saying, "Hey, it was that, you know, it was that win over the Lions, Giants and and Cowboys that put him in this position." It's just very little in the NFL really carries over anymore, especially if you're going to end up with a whole new, you know, group in in coaching staff next year. But anyway, um, we could do this for another hour. I always enjoy it. Appreciate it. Uh, I will talk to you soon. Uh, follow JP uh, per usual on tr- Twitter at JP Finley and listen to his Redskins Talk podcast. It's excellent. Um, who do you have on it today? Are you are you getting the coach today or not? Yeah, uh, we got Bill Callahan, and then we got uh, I got interviews yesterday after the game with Quentin Dunbar and Stephen Sims. That uh, Sims is a I don't know if you've talked to him, Kevin. One of the most likable kids I've ever talked to, 
humble. And I think as much as we talk about McLaurin and Harmon and, you know, their long-term future, I think Sims is a part of this thing. I do, too. Even if he's only ever a kick returner for you. And I think he should be returning punts. Definitely. When that starts happening. Why why isn't he returning punts? A good kick returner. A good kick returner has a lot of value, and, and they got to make sure they got a spot for him. A good punt returner has a lot of value. You don't get enough kickoff return opportunities, but I totally agree with you. There has been something about this guy from the jump. They don't have a lot of game breakers on the roster. He is one of them. And I, I would yep. like to see him return punts because uh, Mr. Irrelevant is is getting to the point of being irrelevant to me um, as a punt returner anyway. Yeah. All right, thank you very um, much. I- I meant to tell you this. A, uh, a guy that follows me on Twitter, his his Twitter handle is Kevin Sheehan is God. I just thought, I thought you should know that. Somebody sent me to that recently. I mean, how embarrassing! <laughs> and and there was a there was a picture of me on his avatar, like dressed up as Jesus Christ, and I'm like, oh God, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> um, somebody did show that to me like three weeks ago. I saw that. Uh, by the way, if that guy is listening, God bless you, and thank you so much for being a listener sure and being a supporter. There's, there's there, a deity he's praying to. There's another one out there, too, that um, I forget what it's called, and I haven't seen that one in a while, but I'm glad I haven't. Uh, but anyway, whatever. You know, this whole social – honestly, the last 10 years with the social media explosion – it really is very cool in one respect, which is just the ability to sort of get instantaneous reaction. You know, sports talk radio has always been that anyway because you could take calls and get instantaneous reaction. Right. And I used to, Tommy and I both used to do this. Um, we would, at the end of one of our shows, this is, you know, going back to 2007, 2008, 2009, you know, and I don't even know if I was on Twitter in 2009. I have no, I, 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 maybe I was, I can't even remember. But anyway, um, we would go through all of the emails, you know, there'd be 150 emails sitting in the inbox and we would go through them and we would, we would respond to them after the show. And, and that's like, you know, not something um, that I do anymore, but it, but it is kind of, it is interesting just how... The um, how all of the interaction has changed over the last ten years, in particular, uh, and I think for the positive, most part. As long as you you do have to have thick skin in this arena. I mean, because half the people are going to rip you to shreds, and you just have to be able to yep. deal with that. All right. Yep, that is that is a part of the gig, man. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I, I'm I, I'm uh, I don't know if you saw this, but a Detroit newspaper had a uh, had a front page cover rock bottom, you know, after losing to the Redskins, and a columnist in Detroit basically wrote a column that is that essentially said the following. I'm paraphrasing here: If you lose to the Redskins, it's time to boycott the Thanksgiving Day game. We need change, you know. So they're talking about boycotting their their most treasured tradition, the Thanksgiving Day game. Because they lost to the Redskins. It's, anyway. Uh, I, I said, I was talking to an old, uh, older gentleman fan yesterday before the game, a uh, guy that's been going to games for 50, 60 years, if I had to guess. And, and I said to him, before that game, Kevin, that stadium was the most lifeless I've ever seen. And, and it, the crowd was actually quite good by the end of that game, which the crowd deserves a lot of es- estimate, anyway. the, a- estimate the crowd size. I had a friend tell me maybe, maybe 30,000. Maybe. Yeah, I am, I am a bad judger of those things, but I mean, 
I think 30, 35 sounds right. It was And it ha- was, half Lions like, fans, right? More Lions fans than I knew existed. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I said to this I said to this older dude, I said, Did you ever think that this organization could fall this far? And he just looked at me like, No way. Never. And and that to me does a lot. All right, uh, you and I, every single time we do this, I think, um, we say goodbye, and then 15 minutes later, we finally actually <laughs> hang up with each other. Uh, J.P. Finley, everybody, at J.P. Finley NBCS, uh, Redskins Talk Podcast. I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. All right, thanks to J.P. Um, if you're listening on any of the podcast platforms, just want to let everybody know that we do have an app, uh, iTunes, iPhone in the App Store, uh, Android in the Google Store. Um, a lot of you uh, seem to like it, and the numbers are growing on people that are downloading the app. So we appreciate that. But if you're totally comfortable listening to us on our website, thekevinsheehanshow.com, or any of the podcast platforms, continue to do it that way as well. Uh, one quick thought, then we're going to go around the NFL real quickly. On the Josh Norman thing, here's the bottom line with Josh Norman, okay? Bruce Allen's era here in Washington has not focused on what Vinny and Dan did, which was signing high-priced free agents past their prime. Bruce has been mostly a guy who has tried to nickel and dime every contract on subpar players. He gets a, a thrill out of getting a great deal on an average to subpar player. Kendall Reyes, Stephen Paya, Terrell Pryor, Deshaun Goldson, the, the list goes on and on. There have been a couple of rolls of the dice on big names. Deshaun Jackson actually worked out. Josh Norman did not. All right, he's, He was never a fit here. This is where Bruce Allen has really hurt the franchise with his acquisitions. Norman was never a good fit for this defense. I think he would have been a good fit for other defenses. I think he can play, but, a, but he's a zone cover corner with a good pass rush, period. And this is what Gruden was talking about. Remember at the end of last year, Aaron, when he said, the coaches in the front office have to get on the same page. Bruce went ahead and acquired uh, Norman. Um, wasn't a good fit for the defense. He went ahead and traded for Alex Smith. Was not a good fit for Jay Gruden. So y- y- these are the kinds of things that you know, y- you're know you going to look back on. A lot. We, we have a long list. But this Norman thing did not pan out well for the Redskins. And I don't think it's as much his fault as it was the organization's fault. Uh, Let's finish up the show real quickly and go around the NFL a little bit. The biggest plays and the clutch moments. It's time to go around the NFL. All right, we're going to rip through a couple of these games real quickly, and I want to start with last night because that was impressive. Uh, The San Francisco 49ers annihilated Green Bay. Green Bay, you could see it early in the game. They did not have a chance 37-8 37-8 was the final score. This is the stretch we were talking about last week where the 9-1 49ers were going to play uh, the Packers, the Ravens, and the Saints. It's the tough, toughest three-game stretch record-wise, aggregate record-wise, in NFL history late in the season. And boy, did they pass this first test. Their defense, we've been talking about it all year long, is so fast up front and in the back. Nick Bosa's a beast. Eric Armstead is a beast. DeForest Buckner, these guys can not only, they're not only physically overpowering, they can all run. This is the best defense in football, San Francisco's defense. I know New England statistically is better. New England has not played the schedule San Francisco has played. 
That's your best defense. The game they lost in overtime to Seattle, first of all, their own kicker missed a kick in overtime that would have them undefeated right now. Secondly, Seattle won that game because of all the San Francisco turnovers. Uh, Russell Wilson did not drive them great distances. They were all they had a defensive score, a clowny touchdown, and the other three scores were set up by turnovers. San Francisco, it, it, this game next Sunday, San Francisco at Baltimore, I cannot wait to watch it. Unfortunately, it's at 1 o'clock. How is that a 1 o'clock game, Aaron? I want to watch that game more than any game all season long. I really thought they were going to flex that game instead of this game. I know. The Vi- the uh, Patriots-Texans are in the Sunday night spot next week, so they're yeah. not going to take the Patriots out of it. Right. But San Francisco Ravens, it's, and because it's a Fox game, it's a CBS doubleheader, that's their other issue. Oh, man, what a game that's going to be. Baltimore, by the way, an early four-point favorite at home over San Francisco. The Niners are nasty, man. They, Their defense can carry them. I think it can. Uh, you know, I'm still skeptical a little bit about Garoppolo, you know, but he's played better here the last couple of weeks. They still can run the ball too, man. My boy, my boy Kyle. I think they averaged over five yards a carry against uh, against that Green Bay defense, which also is a good defense. Aaron Rodgers never had a chance last night. He was 20 of 33 for 104 yards in a game in which they were getting their ass kicked. Think about the times when teams lose 37 to 10 or whatever. Usually the quarterback in the fourth quarter has like 150 yards passing of garbage passing. Rodgers was 20 of 33 for 104 yards. Now they did put the, uh, the other guy in there super late. Um... The Dallas-New England game, I personally thought it was a hell of a football game. You know, the, the weather was terrible. The hitting was fierce. Boy, Dallas got completely hosed by a, by a couple of these tripping calls, especially the one on third and one late in the game. You know, as far as the criticism of Jason Garrett kicking a field goal down 13-6 to six with over six minutes to go on a fourth and seven, I did not have a problem with that. Did you? I mean, I was ta- I had Dallas plus five and a half. So. Right. Don't get me wrong, but they, you know there's a lot of criticism. There's six oh four left. It's fourth and seven at the New England eleven in a thirteen to six game. If there's three oh four left, okay. There was six oh four left, and do you know what New England had done all half? Basically, punt the football. Three and out. Seven plays punt. Three and out, and then their previous drive had been set up on a very short field that they ended up with a field goal on that drive. I guess the question is, do you? have any faith on Dak leading another 80, 90 yard drive to get a touchdown because, you know. Well, you don't think it's going to be 80 or 90 yards if you kick it deep and they're going into the wind at that point and you get a stop three and out, maybe you get some field position. 65 yards. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, more than a fourth and seven, which is, you know, pretty much a one and three, one and four chance. It's one of those things where I can see both sides. Personally, though, I I had no faith in Dak driving a full-length you know, I'd rather take the the one chance, maybe getting it, versus the idea that Dak is likely going to have a very long drive for a touchdown. Yeah, I, I personally, in the moment, again, I had Dallas plus five and a half, so I wanted the field goal right. attempt, and I'm so glad New England did not kick a field goal on their final play. Which, by the way, just as an aside, Belichick didn't really manage the final minute and a half very well. Yeah, I thought both uh, um, coaches didn't look great in that fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, Dallas is 6-5. and five. Dallas has the more difficult schedule. Philadelphia can't score. Okay, They are now uh, 10 points last week, 9 points yesterday in a game 
Um, they're, they're struggling. Uh, and Philadelphia's got the easy schedule. Dallas has the tougher schedule. Dallas has Buffalo on Thanksgiving Day. They still have the Rams. They have the Eagles on the road. They've got the Bears in Chicago. Not necessarily a given. Um, and the Eagles have, in order, the Dolphins, Giants, and Redskins. And then they get the Giants at the end of the year. So the schedule favors the Eagles. I think the Cowboys are a better team, though. I do. I think they're a better team. And they do have too much talent to be a 6-5 and five team. I agree with those of you that say that. Um, the Carolina-New Orleans game, man, you know, all of a sudden the New Orleans defense has given up a lot. And Carolina, I mean, their kicker yesterday absolutely stunk. This guy, Sly, I think his name is? Yes. Um, he missed, yesterday he missed a field goal and missed two PATs. There were a lot of missed PATs yesterday. A lot this year there's, in general. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a lot all season. Uh, can we just move it back to where it was? I like 7s and 14s and 21s. I like clean numbers. Uh, you know, it's just, why do we have to put the adventure into the 33-yard extra point? I don't know why we're doing it. I don't know. I guess it adds some drama to it. It certainly is now because the, the percentage of makes this year is way down from where it was when they first put this rule in two years ago now. Uh, Carolina had a short field goal for this dude. Joey Sly missed it. Uh, the Saints, of course, with Drew Brees, got in range, kicked the game winner. They're 9-2. and two. Carolina's in big trouble. Um, those were really the games yesterday of note. Um, you know, uh, you know, the Seahawks-Eagles game, again, you know, uh, they're struggling offensively, man. Carson Wentz had four turnovers in the game, four. Two picks, two lost fumbles. It's crazy. Um, all right, uh, that's it. I'm looking forward to the Monday night game tonight, Rams and Ravens. That is a good game. I had the Rams in the smell test. I need to ask you one quick question. Did I have San Francisco in the smell test Friday? I don't think you did. God damn it. I, I, could, I could be mistaken on that I one. I didn't on radio, and I thought I had them all week. I had them written down on my sheet Friday. I don't know why I didn't give them out. I played them personally. Uh, so I can't take credit for that. Another uh, subpar weekend from your boy. Um, think I'm four six and one right now, four seven and one, something like that. I think I was two and two in the NFL yesterday, but I thought I had San Francisco last night. I do have the Rams tonight. This could be a last stand for the Rams if they lose their two games out of the wild card. Yeah, th- that's right. Uh, th- this is a big, big spot for the Rams. Look, it's six and five. They're not completely out of it because I think they have the, the Cardinals twice. You know, um, I think they play the 49ers, though, in that late Saturday in that uh, next to last week. I mean, it's not over, but it gets very dire if they lose this game. Um, real quickly, you and I love college football. The Oregon loss hurts Utah in particular, mm-hmm. and I think Utah's legit good, and I hope that they're not downgraded if they win the Pac-12 championship game over Oregon. Their defense, to me, is top three or four in the nation. I don't know how it would stack up against LSU in a 1-4 game. I don't. Um, by the way, I'm, I've become more confident that, that LSU is going to lay it to Georgia a little bit. Georgia really is struggling offensively. They are so good defensively, really good defensively. You know, uh, Alabama's a mere three-point favorite in the Iron Bowl on, on Saturday. Hmm. So if Alabama loses and then you get the um, – and then you get a uh, – well, Oklahoma's behind the Pac-12 champion, in my you in my opinion. So? I, I do. I, I that's what I've been trying to figure as long, out. How, no, the Pac-12 champion if it's Utah. If it's Utah, I, I've just been trying to figure out, man. If you know now that the Oregon win won't be as good, how good you know how does it stack up? I had it before this week. Definitely the Pac-12 champion ahead. 
I think it's a little closer now. I would take Utah over over Oklahoma. I'm a, I like Jalen Hurts. I've talked about his casual um, ball handling, if you will. God, he turned it over a bunch against TCU the other night. Uh, okay, um, that's it. We've got more time to do that this week. Tommy will be with me tomorrow. Have a great day. Enjoy the game tonight. It's a good Monday night game. We've got good national TV games in the NFL pretty much the rest of the way. Uh, thanks to J.P. Finley for coming on. Thanks to Aaron for producing it. Back tomorrow.